My name is Roma and this is Zemlove, a podcast about a feeling that I try to describe through the stories and anecdotes and perspective of others, wonderful people that I've met. And through their stories, I want to change the thoughts and the feelings that people have when they think about this beautiful place. Because once you put it into Google, all that pops up is expensive safaris or hyperinflation or even different stories. But there's a specific feeling to this place. And I want to show you through the eyes of others that after all everyone has been through and is going through, there is still a feeling that is true Zim love. We have a problem in that as a nation, we do not have the exact number of languages that are spoken in the country. There are estimates, people estimate that in Zimbabwe there is uh, between 16 to 22 languages that are spoken. But again, this must be taken into account issues to do with dialects because some of uh, the varieties that you are calling languages are actually dialects. This interview was recorded with Dr. Ivan Lovu from the University of Zimbabwe. He's a lecturer at the Department of Language, Literature and Culture. He's teaching African languages, editing, translation, language policy. So he's a very multilingual person and he's going to talk with us about the future of African languages. This interview was recorded during COVID times in Zimbabwe. I was sitting very far away from the doctor, so the questions were re-recorded while editing this podcast. I hope you enjoy this episode of Zim Love. In the first episode, we spoke with John about Tonga language and culture. Tonga is not just a language, it's also a tribe. So when you speak about 16 official languages in Zimbabwe, does it mean that there are also 16 tribes? Yes, because what will this then mean is that these are people who belong to different ethnic groups. Because what I've discovered is your people are no longer comfortable with being called, you know, tribes. They prefer the term ethnic groups, which they feel is politically neutral and are more sensitive. So what then happens is that you find that if you say you are Tonga, it means that you belong to a particular ethnic group. So this means that Zimbabwe is endowed with all these different ethnic groups, you know, that um, constitute the different languages that we are saying are spoken in this particular country. The different ethnic groups, does it still play a role in today's society? Yes, definitely they do play a critical role in our society because we are saying one of the key defining features of our nation is that we are linguistically diverse, we are multicultural in nature. And each group brings its own unique, you know, aspects in terms of culture, in terms of language, which are a critical component in terms of uh, ensuring, you know, peace in the nation, coexistence. So the fact that we need to coexist, the fact that we need to appreciate and recognize each other is what then explains why we are, you know, uh, coexisting. Well, we have had our own problems as a nation, which have really seen us, seeing some of our... Um, language uh, groups engaging in some forms of language activism because they were feeling that they are marginalized. If you look at languages like Tonga, they were not so much visible as uh, Ndebele or Shona. 
they were somewhat marginalized in our society and it took some form of language activism through bottom-up approaches to language planning and policy for these languages to be where they are at the moment. I've, in a number of settings, in a number of conversations, tried to assist our citizens and the nation at large to understand and appreciate that in Zimbabwe we do not have official languages. What we have are officially recognized languages, and these two are different Countries like South Africa have official languages, but in Zimbabwe, these are officially recognized languages. What is then the official language in Zimbabwe? Um, what we have as the de facto, the unsaid, you know, in terms of policy, mm -hmm. official language seems to be English. Because what defines an official language in any nation is that it becomes the language of record. It is the language of business. It is the language of governance, the language of education, the language of administration. So given that English is the language that is serving all these functions in Zimbabwe, it then assumes that de facto function of being the official language of Zimbabwe. Uh, what we have seen is that in as much as people want to identify with the English language, they are emphasizing that their children are exposed to the English language as it's as early as kindergarten, there is still that connection with their own mother tongues. They still want to identify with their local languages. The challenge that we had in Zimbabwe is that English was at the top and then followed by Shona and then Debele. And because of that, those who spoke the other languages, which are not Debele, Shona or English, they felt that the government was attempting to actually assimilate them into the broad two local languages depending on the province that you are found in. You will notice that Zimbabwe is um, divided mainly along linguistic you know, boundaries. We have Mashona land, which really then is Shona, Matebele land, which is Ndebele. And in the main, the Tonga people in particular, they voiced out their opinion to say that, why are we being called the people in Matebele land when we are not Matebele or when we are not Ndebele? Because labeling them that way or assuming that they are part of the Matebele people is to then try and assimilate them into the Ndebele identity. And because of that, that is the reason why they strongly feel that their language must be promoted, their language must be recognized. And they've even gone to the extent of saying that in their districts, be it in Binga or in Karipa, where Tonga is predominantly spoken, they've resisted the teaching of Ndebele and Shona. They want their Tonga to be taught as the sole local language alongside English because there is that strong feeling that teaching their children Debele will contribute to uh, a situation where their children will be assimilated into the Debele group and then they will lose their identity of being Tongas. Looking at globalization, would you say that local languages are fading out during time? Where do you see the future of local languages? Should people in Germany, people all over the world now start to learn local languages like Tonga, Shona, Debele? Uh, there is a new wave of uh, linguistic nationalism that is now taking place around the globe. And it, it dates back really as uh, back at the 19th century, you know, where people even started talking about the need to preserve biodiversity. The drive of uh, preserving biodiversity has also manifested in the drive of trying to also promote and uh, preserve linguistic diversity. There is this strong wave of people who are saying that no language should die. Remember the United Nations in 2019 
set aside the whole year 2019 as year of indigenous languages with the aim of promoting the preservation, the revitalization, the maintenance and the promotion of all the local languages mm-hmm. which are threatened by extinction. So the future is bright if we are to embrace the drive of our UNESCO, the drive of our UN of promoting and preserving all local languages because languages are linked to issues to do with rights. I'm a language rights scholar as well, and I strongly believe that the key, the avenue, the foundation, the basis for the enjoyment of all the other basic human rights which people are entitled to is the language rights. If you are entitled to the right to health, the right to justice, and that right is not guaranteed in your language of choice, it is as good as you are not guaranteed that right. Mm -hmm. You cannot talk about the right of access to information without guaranteeing that right of access to information in one's preferred language. Because if you talk about us having rights of access to information, but that information is in languages that we do not understand. It is as good as we are not guaranteed that particular right. So given that interconnection between language rights and the other basic human rights, and given the centrality of language rights in the enjoyment of all the basic human rights that people are entitled to, it makes it clear that there is going to be that strong wave and strong push and drive to actually foreground to valorize and promote all the languages so that everyone enjoys their basic human rights. Mm. So this then points to the need to preserve and promote all the local languages, even to the point of a dialect. Looking at academia, those local languages are being studied by native speakers. So the languages themselves are objects that are being studied linguistically, literature, culture-wise. When you think about publishing in those languages, this is even something that you think about when you publish in German. Should you even publish in German or should you maybe publish in English, depending on what kind of audience you would like to reach? Would you say that looking at the future of local languages, you should also look into that? This is a a very critical point that you are raising, Roma. I think one of the key things what really constitutes language development is for us to get to a point of using these languages in what are called high-function domains. If we get to that particular point of saying that Tonga can be a language for research, Tonga can be a language for scientific inquiry, then we'll defeat the mark. And there is still that need. I've been working, you know, behind the scenes to say that It is mandatory and we expect all universities in Zimbabwe, if all things are equal, and if as a country we are really serious about implementing the provisions of Section 6 of our Constitution, promote the development of all the languages in Zimbabwe, including sign language. Mm -hmm. If you are doing computer science, if you are doing informatics and communication, if you are going to be doing Isindebele and Yashona, it allows you then to also stretch yourself and be able to use Ndebele within that particular domain. And this will actually enable our languages to migrate into the cyberspace. This will actually allow us to even be able to use Google uh, or search using Google, using our own local languages. And if you look at what is currently happening, our languages do not have spell checkers. And that makes it very difficult for us to type You know, if you put your phone on autocorrect and then you are typing in the local languages, you risk at times, you know, typing vulgar Mm. because it 
autocorrects to English mm. because it does not recognize the interpolation at Tonga spelling. Do you think it's realistic that there is going to be such a rise in Shonan Debele and Tonga speakers that there's going to be an own academic discourse besides just being inside the language speakers? It is realistic. It's very possible. If Kiswahili has done it, what will stop us? Zulu very close at mm. home which is a sister dialect to Ndebele. They are already there. Kosa is already there in the space. It is possible. Shona, to some extent, is now visible on Google. Mm. It is possible. I think what we need to do, the problem that we currently have is that we do not have um, that kind of close-knit collaboration with those with the technical know-how, those from the computer science uh, or computer engineering or informatics who can come and partner with us the site is, you know, we have the linguistic knowledge, the linguistic background, but we do not have the technical know-how of moving our languages in that particular space. Talking about recognized languages and what is spoken when, English is the language that seems to be spoken most. Of course, the colleagues at the university speak mostly English to me, to each other, maybe they speak English, mostly Shona. Um, in a professional academic context or in a seminar room, English is the language that is being spoken. Would you say that there's a sociolinguistic background to what is spoken when? Uh, as a nation, we are existing in what is called a diagnostic situation where English is right at the top is the high variety. And then after English, there's Shona in Zimbabwe as the high variety for all the local languages. Shona enjoys prestige. It is actually the dominant language, local language in Zimbabwe. And then comes Ndebele. Because it's all to do with the politics of language in Zimbabwe, which dates as far as back as the colonial period, when uh, one of the scholars, Clement Doc, made the recommendation that English would be the, the language, then Ndebele and Shona would be the, the local languages. That then defined, you know, the kind of the relationship that exists between our languages in Zimbabwe. But we are seeing a change in that because the local language um, groups, which were previously marginalized, they are now also, you know, pushing for the recognition of their languages. And it's already happening. In terms of policy, yes, there are all 16 officially recognized languages. But in terms of practice, English is still at the top, followed by Shona and then Devele and then Tonga. We are still trying to understand and to also pick which then other language comes after Tonga. Because I'm looking at the kind of aggressiveness, the kind of linguistic nationalism that defines the Tonga people. They actually top the list when we compare them with the other previously marginalized languages. This is why I'm saying they are coming after Isindebele. But what we are sure of is that in terms of uh, preferences, English still enjoys that prominence, that we cannot dispute. But we are also happy that there is that element of now trying to embrace our local languages. Mm. There is that mm. change. Mm. For me and for a lot of people on the outside, there's something linguistically specific about Ndebele, something special. And it is that it's the only local language that has clicks in it. Now, there are more languages in Southern Africa that have cliques in them. And it's something very foreign and 
special to us. Can you please explain? Well, um, Ndebele, as I've said, is a dialect of uh, a family called Nguni. Uh, this constitutes Isi Zulu, Isi Swati, and South African Ndebele. So these languages um, had this close interaction with the Khoi people. This is where these Greek sounds are coming from. In Debele, they are called Ongwaka Vatwa. Ongwaka Vatwa. Literally meaning that these are consonants that are coming from the Khoi people. Avatwa is the Khoi people. So these are sounds which we picked from the Khoi people. Remember, the Debele people are migrating from down south. And down south, especially the Khosa, this is where the Khoi people were predominantly found. So they stayed for quite some time, the Khosa people, you know, in close proximity with the Khoi people. And among the Nguni varieties, the Khosa language has the highest number of cliques because of their proximity to the Khoi people. The click sounds are a foreign sound to the Ndebele people, which they borrowed from the Khoi people. So as a Nguni family, this is not originally Nguni. It's a sound that we picked from uh, the Khoi family. So in Ndebele, there are three um, radical clicks. We have the dental click, and then we have the palatal click, and then we have the lateral click. So those are the three, you know, basic click sounds that we have. But they can be combined. You can nasalize them. You can aspirate them to also derive other possible combinations using those uh, particular basic click sounds. So you, Doc, you are Debele. Yes, I, I'm claiming to be Debele. <laughs> but if I'm to trace my roots in terms of, you know, the... My uh, descendants, my parents, where exactly they came from, especially the paternal side, I'm told that I'm Kalang. Mm -hmm. But if you look at Ndebele as a society, it was a society that had three groups. Three ethnic groups made up the Ndebele society. The pure, 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 pure Ndebeles are the Abezans. These are the people who came with King Mzilikazi down south. Those are the pure, pure, pure Ndebeles. And then there is what are called Avenla. These are the people that the Ndebeles captured on their way to Zimbabwe, the Sutu people. And then there is the last group, Amahole. These are the people who are the original inhabitants of what is called the present day Zimbabwe Matebeleland side, where, you know, the Ndebeles circled. So on arrival, you know, they found people such as the Kalanga people, who are also believed to be part of the Rosie. Well, there is debate, but, you know, linguistically and historically, there's been that evidence that they are linked to the Rosie community. When you talk about Ndebele people, there are certain stereotypes that I've also heard about. One is that they are warriors, and the other one is that they have beautiful women. That's what people say. <laughs> That's what people say about us. Well, there are other negative, you know, stereotypes that, you know, um, uh, have been, you know, associated with Ndebele people. One of them is that they say that we love meat. Well, going back into our past, really, that was one of our lifestyle. Mm -hmm. You know, in Ndebele, they used to say, if you're Ndebele men, these are some of the key things that would define you the number of women that you married, they encouraged polygamy. Number two, the number of cattle that you kept. 
you know, a man among the developed people was respected because of the size of the head that he had, you know. And then number three, you know, the love for beer, homemade traditional <laughs> beer. That's what, you know, constituted Umbuswamandevele Inyama, Abesfazana, Ujual. You know, those were the key things that people, you know, say it defined the developed people. Well, going into the colonial period, people used to say that we walk around carrying all cups, some knives. I'm not sure I don't have one, <laughs> but those are stereotypes. And of course, yes, you have said that they are saying that we have beautiful women. Yeah, that's what people say. But well, they have gone to the extent of saying that our women are loose. But I don't know. You ah. know these are people who are saying, you know, people always, you know, say. But I think it's just what people think and conceptualize. At times, you know what happens with stereotypes. If one person from a particular ethnic mm-hmm. group does something, it is then associated with the, the rest. Because in Debele, there is a proverb that says, Zonelo Amfunye. If one person is that particular mistake, as long as they belong to the particular group, it is then associated with them. The group. Yeah, so it's, those are stereotypes, as you rightly say. Yeah. You know. Something I ask everyone is if there is a saying, a proverb, a story in their mother tongue, so for you in Debele or Kalanga, that catches something of the spirit of Zimbabwe, some Zimlaf, and that you you would say is typical Zimbabwean. Among the Tebele people, you don't, you know, travel and then say, I'm stuck, and then you sleep outside or in the bush. In the Tebele, you know, culture, there's a proverb that says, Isi susom hambi asinganani, singamu ponjo analimbos. Meaning that if you know a god, it's got a horn, and the horn of a goat is not that too big. So we are saying, if you look at the stomach, the tummy of a, a person who's a traveler, it's not that too big that they will even finish your, you know, your grain or whatever you have in your granary. So it's encouraging us to be hospitable, to take care of, you know, those who are visiting. And we also believe that, um, that's another proverb. Meaning that you don't know where you're going to find yourself in tomorrow. Mm. You could be the one who's in Germany. And if you ill-treated yeah. a German in Zimbabwe, expect the same kind of treatment when you get there. Mm. And we also say, Meaning that a traveler would not really contribute to a situation where your grain is uh, finished. They will not really eat away all the food that you have. Mm. So be that kind to share whatever you have because they will not eat everything that you have. Mm. Mm. So we really emphasize that point of saying we value each other. And how would you greet someone in Debele? Well, it also depends on, for example, if I'm meeting that particular person for the very first time, you have not met in the morning or the previous day, the best way to greet will be to say Sakubona. Sakubona. Yes, Sakubona. It's similar to Zulu, it's similar to Kosa. Mm. Sakubona. And then the person will respond, Yebo. Yebo. Un- yes. And then they'll ask you, Gunjani. Meaning, how are you? And then I'll respond, Nyapila. Gunjani Wena. I'm okay or I'm well. How are you doing yourself? And then the person will respond, I'm well, thank you. Nyapila. Yeah, it's very rare for us to respond and say, no, things are not okay. 
even if things are bad, we have learned to respond in the positive. Yeah, yeah, very mm. nice. Mm. So can we try this? But I forgot already. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sabon. Yebo. Kunjani. I'm fine. Nyapil. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right, yeah, thank yeah. you very much, Doc. No, most thank welcome, Romain. Thanks for having the time. Thank you so much for also affording me the opportunity to also share my own experiences and develop a speaker <laughs> with you. It was a pleasure. Yebo, thank you very much, Doc, for taking the time for this interview. And I hope you enjoyed this episode of Zim Love.